0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's (laughs) bluehost.com. This isn't the intro, by the way. Don't you dare. (laughs) Don't
1: tempt me, then. Hello everybody and welcome back to Backstage Gaming, a I forgot our tagline. <laughs> Dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris.
0: I'm Dylan.
1: And we're just gonna be real wet and wild for you guys today. Uh it's <laughs> <laughs> uh We are doing this week a QA episode. We put out a call on Twitter and also to just some of our friends for questions that they had for us about either acting or gaming or some combination thereof and we got a handful back so we're going to take some time to just sort of answer some questions from you the lovely listeners out there and hopefully uh it'll be informative and fun i don't have a prepped bit like i i feel like after last week's sort of intro conversation of the great bathroom puzzle like nothing's oh going to nothing's going to step to that <laughs> yep nope and honestly this has been a fairly bog-standard week for me. I haven't had a ton of, like, am- amusing things happen that make good podcast intro fodder, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, it's been a pretty uneventful week for me, too.
1: Life is boring. I'm prepped to uh, to head up to a recording session for the next podcast project I'm in tomorrow evening, so that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. I get, I'll get to rant and rave about doorknobs in a recording Yay! studio, which will maybe make more sense when you hear it in the context of the show, whenever that is actually finalized and released, but who knows? Maybe it won't. Um, Good old doorknobs. Yep. But we're here, and we've got a list of some questions that some of our friends on Twitter or on Facebook sent to us, and I I figure let's just dive in. Uh, this is going to be kind of a loosey-goosey episode. We're not. We don't have, like, material prepared, like we sometimes do with our more, like, thesis-focused episodes, but... Hopefully, it'll still be fun, and we'll get some uh, some creative juices flowing all up on here. So, Those are uh, the best
0: types of juices to mm, have flowing. Mm. Fuck what you heard.
1: <laughs> Dylan, <laughs> do any of these questions uh, speak to you to knock us out of the park at the beginning of this? Oh,
0: I thought we were just going to roll right through it. Um, well,
1: the first four of them are from one man, and so yeah. th- I feel like that might not be fair, depending on how long it takes us to get through each one.
0: I guess uh, we should... I I was looking at the first one. So, what game do you think would be impossible to adapt into any other medium?
1: This is a very good question. Um, It's
0: a very broad question, so, like, I'm also going to... We we can talk about this for a while, Yeah,
1: I think that that'll be fun. I think that there are a lot of answers here that are true but also dull. For example, Mario Party. (laughs) Like, Mario Party really wouldn't work in a non-interactive medium... But also, why would you want that?
0: Could, could like, you imagine a Jumanji-esque Mario party, though? <laughs> <laughs> if you
1: land on a Bowser space in the game, you land on a Bowser space for real. real life. <laughs> um... <laughs> um Okay, well now you're turning me around on this, <laughs> and now you've got me thinking. All
0: right, guys, never mind. This isn't the Q and A episode. This is now the Jumanji Mario Party episode. Yeah, we're
1: we're doing we're we're bringing back the writers' room like several episodes early, and we're doing Mario Party. Uh, no, like Mario Party is an answer to this question, but like I'm more. I don't know. I feel like it's more interesting to find the ones where it's like at first glance you'd be like, "Oh, I could see that as a as a movie." And mm-hmm. then you'd like, "But then it wouldn't work." If that makes why sense. It yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, so like this this is kind of like a knee jerk um yeah. one and like this will probably be dissected because like I'm just spitting this one out. Yeah, but that's
1: what this is for.
0: Yeah. While while we did talk about like how you could conceivably go about adapting a Metroid movie, um I don't think the same would work for Metroid Prime. <laughs> I think because, you're right.
1: I think that yeah. I'd be curious to see an attempt. Because, mm-hmm. like, the atmosphere of that game is so good. And, like, getting to watch Sama's do the badass shit and, like, watch those boss fights yeah. as conceived of by, like, a professional cinematographer and professional director could be really cool. Yeah. But I but don't. Like, I think you're right. I
0: think that, like... Like, that in Bioshock, like, so much of the story is about, like, kind of exploring and discovering and not in the way that you could easily convey the film cuz it's like you know having a filming a character like finding a text although i guess you could you could make a book out of metroid prime that would be interesting i'd i'd dig that or like a graphic novel yeah give me like a metroid prime graphic
1: novel that'd be really cool um, yeah i guess i
0: was i was just thinking in terms of film but like yeah
1: if we're talking any other medium then there's ways to do that in a way that would be really good oh man okay That's i'm i'm putting the question now. on his head but like I brought up Mario Party as an obvious one that wasn't interesting to talk about, but I want to talk to you a moment about how incredible a Speed Racer-esque Mario Kart series would be. That'd be good. Give me, give, like, we're we're veering off the question a little bit, but give me that. Um.
0: (laughs) Speaking of Speed Racer uh, and Hollywood adaptations of animes that are surprisingly not trash i've heard good things about battle angel alita i know that like we are deviating a bit but like yeah we we kind of skipped the opening week segment
1: yeah that shocks me because it alita battle angel as a film was very like conceptually interesting to me and then i would watch a trailer and be like oh but she's so not fun to look at with my eyes i don't
0: mind it like i don't know i might I might be weird, but like I kind of got used to it by the second promotional trailer. That's or fair. I could be an outlier here, but looking at no, no, you are definitely not an outlier. <laughs> that is a problem a lot of people have, but I, I don't know. It just doesn't bother me. That's fair. <laughs> or I've, I've gotten to a point where it doesn't bother me. You've been like desensitized to the Alita. <laughs> yeah, like, I haven't read a lot of the original Alita. I've read, like, a chapter or two. In terms of, like, art style, it really reminds me of some of my favorite manga from the 90s. Okay. So, like, I, I am keen on checking that out.
1: Games that would be impossible to adapt into any other medium. Tetris.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you're not wrong. Like, like Tetris I'm is... not wrong,
1: but that's also a very boring answer.
0: <laughs> it's a boring answer, but it's like, you know, I feel like it's a go-to for a reason. Yeah. Like, Tetris is video game the video game.
1: Yeah, or, like, Pong.
0: Um, I mean, like, Pong is basically... Oh, here's, a,
1: here's another derailment, but, like, maybe this is the intro. Yesterday, I'm on the highway in Chicago driving to go to the dentist's office, and okay. I'm behind a truck, and the truck has, like, a big, like a like, a pickup truck, and it's got something standing up in its bed. And as I get closer, I realize... I don't know who this man was or where he's going, but he's my hero because he was just lugging an old Mortal Kombat arcade cabinet in the back of his pickup truck.
0: (laughs) Alright, you know what? That's... good job. Good job whoever... if that's his, good job. If he's delivering it to someone, good job for that one. And to segue
1: Um, us back in, Mortal Kombat would be impossible to adapt well into any other medium.
0: (laughs) I mean, not for nothing. They've tried. They've
1: tried. It never worked. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, I I feel like I I feel like we're just kind of like spitballing here, but uh, let me let me think. Um, I
1: I think maybe the takeaway we can have from this is like a lot of games, at least a lot of games that like have stories to them, do work. You could find a way to make it work. Yeah. There's another question here that was sort of a follow up to this one from. Uh, I, I guess we should say, this question was provided to us by our friend Brennan French, who uh, you hear us plug every week when we mention the art for our show, because he did the art for our show. Yep. Um, he also added, what game do you think already is in its best medium? So, like, it would be... The, his exact words were, what game, like Into the Spider-Verse, do you think is already in the best medium? And translating it to its stage show or film would be a fool's errand. Uh, and um, I very much Metroid enjoyed that. Prime. <laughs> yeah, Metroid Prime.
0: Met, like Games like Metroid Prime and Bioshock were like, so much of it is about like player discovery. Yeah, same with like Breath of things. the
1: Wild. We talked about a lot, even just last week, about how much what you do as a player is a part of that game and a part of that how that game gets its story and its mood oh, across.
0: I uh, I wanted to say Papers, please.
1: Oh yes, good fucking call. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um,
1: okay. <laughs> let's let's explain this and why I just got so excited. Papers, please. <laughs> if you are not aware of it, is a simulation game in which you play the role of the guy who checks people's documents at a border crossing. The sort of conceit is that you are doing this and the country that you are guarding the border to is vaguely totalitarian. There's a lot of, like, Soviet and Nazi imagery that sort of pastiche together to create the feel of the game. Yeah. But every day there are, you know... There are documents that you have to check. You have to make sure that they are all valid. Much like me in my day-to-day, when people try to buy alcohol at my grocery store, I have to check and make sure that their ID is real. But then (laughs) what makes the game compelling is that you'll get people who don't have the right document, but like... I haven't played this game in forever, but I will never forget this moment where like... Some guy comes through, and like the people that you're letting through will like say things and chat to you in little text bubbles as you're checking their documents. Yeah. And this one guy hit I take his like passport and visa and this was like further on into the game so there were like five documents that I needed to make sure we're all good. Mm-hmm. Um and I checked them all and they're good and one of the little bubbles that comes up is something like my daughter's a few people back in the queue. I hope that all of her documents are in order as well or something to that effect. Oh man. Um and all of his documents were fine and I like, you know, I approved it and he went through and then a few people later his daughter comes through and one of her documents is expired and so Mm. then you have to make the choice of do i let her through anyway and be a compassionate person and get like a demerit because anytime you mess up you get like docked pay or you know it's like three strikes or you're out and like at the end of every day you're trying to support your family so there's like you have to pay bills so doing that might adversely affect your ability to pay your bills
0: and no i don't think there's any other medium that can effectively convey that to its audience or the the person thank you for bringing up papers please i had not thought about that game in a long time (laughs) damn that game's good it's a it's a real good yeah no like you know you can you can write a book where like you know it is about a person who has to make these choices and they are trying to support the family and you can make the family members characters but you don't really get the uh, minutiae of that choice. Yeah,
1: man, I wish I had remembered papers, please, last week when we were talking about failure, <laughs> or what two oh, weeks damn. ago. Yeah, you're right. At this you're point, right. like, dang, I... that would have that would have been a fun one to bring up. Uh, <laughs>
0: yes, uh, yes. Gosh, I feel like there was one more swimming around in my head that I can't remember now. Oh right, haha, <laughs> right, because Phoenix, right, uh, the Ace Attorney series. I, I can't speak for uh, Danganronpa, which we have to play because one of our friends has donated a copy to each of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, because we're text... cowards
1: and would never have bought it ourselves, it's
0: true. No, it's it's not necessarily true. I just have a lot else on my plate. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Phoenix Wright uh, Ace Attorney rather is a pretty good example. It's it's not like you know as in depth as uh, Papers Please, but. Ace Attorney One has been adapted both into an anime and a movie in Japan, and also various musicals. <laughs> and what? they're all good. Yeah, yeah. There are there are like three or four Ace Attorney musicals in Japan. That's incredible. <laughs> Ace Attorney is like a really good source material for adaptations. But I I think the one thing, all of these things, even the adaptations I like, miss is there is a lot of deliberation when. So in Ace Attorney, you, of course, play as a lawyer, and to make sure your defendants are declared not guilty, you have to present the correct evidence. And, like, you know, all of these adaptations do that, but there is never so much stress as, like, when you are trying to put the pieces together yourself, and you're presenting evidence, and you are praying that it's the right evidence, <laughs> because, like, you're, the amount of strikes you have against you are like so high or whatever and you're like oh man this really needs to be the right piece yep
1: oh one more game okay or i guess technically two more games that just popped into my mind that i want to touch on before we move on harvest moon slash stardew valley
0: mm. uh,
1: for those of you who don't know stardew valley is sort of a spiritual successor to an old older series of nintendo games called harvest moon which is basically just a farming simulator yep. you have a plot of land and you grow crops and you sell them to make money to grow more crops and you talk to the people who live Chris, in your little I know, farming town i know a
0: medium that can do harvest moon better than harvest moon what's that it's called owning a fucking farm <laughs> <laughs> why did that get me i don't know why i guess fair no but continue i'm but sorry like,
1: entertainment medium wise like Harvest Moon is one of those games where it's like it's not much of a game it's just sort of like a very
0: it's a series of repetitive processes that are relaxing yeah it's a,
1: it's they're they're very relaxing games that's a great word for it they're like you turn it on you do a couple day night cycles harvest some crops tend to what you're doing maybe like start up a new farming project, you talk to the people, you try to give some gifts to the people that you're trying to, like, convince to marry you in the game, and then, you know, you haven't really accomplished a ton, but you've done your routine, and then you turn the game off. And, like, I don't think... The way that I'm saying that makes it sound dull. And it's yeah. not. Like, it's a very engaging game series. Yeah. You but are it's not... You're constantly
0: thinking about how to increase your profits, and, you know, just, just stuff like that. It's like... Yeah it's all the stressful things you have to do in real life, except made not stressful. Yeah. Made by simple and made fake.
1: Yeah. And so like, I think that games like that games that are just sort of more about like being wouldn't really adapt well to other mediums because like, there's not really conflict in the same way. It's not a game that's built on like a story and a problem that needs solving. It's just a game of like, see what you can do with this farm and, and, in that, it wouldn't really work well in a medium that's trying to tell more of, like, a guided story. Mm. You could probably make a story out of it, but, like, then you're, you know, adding on to this thing and not just adapting. Yeah. I think we've we've given yeah. that question uh, we a good can, amount we of... We can move on from that, yeah. I actually want to jump down to okay. uh, the one at the bottom of the list, because this one is kind of a fun one. Mm, uh, yeah. My, my buddy Coop from high school, uh, at, Rider, at Strike. Rider Strike on Twitter... Asked us, "What do your gaming backlogs look like? Any games you're excited to get to, or are ashamed you haven't touched yet?" Oh yes, let's go uh, through that. Yeah, I've got my Steam library open in front of me. Oh, uh, fuck, first I one, do that too. first one, Coop, <laughs> that I'm ashamed I haven't gotten to yet are the Danganronpa games that you got me for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be getting to that to that shortly. I um,
0: I, I do plan on starting Danganronpa. Fuck Danganronpa Rampa <laughs> Danganrangon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Drag- dragon dragon romper go-goo.
0: um it's actually a dragon uh, romper. i remember uh my friend joe he he played those in high school or college and you know he's not like a huge uh text-based adventure person but like he got a kick out of those okay. so i've i've really been meaning to play those yeah
1: i've i've heard good things i just haven't
0: touched it yet um yeah maybe we can do that as a segment on our podcast That might be fun. Got a lot of games on my, uh, on the back burner Um, that I haven't gotten through yet. I'll list a couple real quick. So, I need to play Hollow Knight and Celeste, because those are, like, two of the biggest indie games of the last, uh, last couple years. Yeah. I've been talking with various friends, and they're like, you haven't played these games? You'd love them. And I'm like, you know, Celeste I didn't get because Iconoclast came out, like, the same month, and, you know, I only have so much money. Yeah. Um... (laughs) and i do not regret that purchase iconoclast was like one of my favorite games last year two years ago no last year yeah um
1: <laughs> time has not journeyed that far on us yet well
0: i i it, it was early last year so yeah. i wasn't sure yeah. um but like you know celeste has gotten constant awards like i love precision platformers um I've really been meaning to get to that, and like everyone I've ever talked to is like Dylan, you love Super Metroid, why the fuck haven't you played Hollow Knight yet? And uh Honestly the the real reason is like the I, I love everything about the game except like the aesthetic doesn't really jive with me. It's not like bad, it's not like oh I don't like it. Um it I don't know. It's just like everything I see of it's the game taste. is like it's skulls and bugs, and I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> but the sequel though. <laughs>
1: The sequel looks really good. The
0: sequel looks dope.
1: Yeah, there's so many games that I haven't either haven't played or haven't beaten. Uh, mm-hmm. High on my list personally is to finally actually beat Darkest Dungeon. Uh, Darkest mm. Dungeon is That's a... That's never happened. It, yeah. No, no one has ever beaten Darkest Dungeon. If I win, <laughs> I get the Chocolate Factory. Um, mm. But Darkest Dungeon is a, like, roguelike dungeon-crawling game all about sort of managing not just your adventurer's health, but also, like, their stress levels mm. and making sure that they don't, like, become bad people over the course of, you know, going through horrible things in pursuit of your goals. Uh, yeah, it's really yeah. good. And I've dumped, well, I can find out, many hours, uh, 53 hours, in fact, of my life into Darkest oh, Dungeon and have not beaten it because it's just fucking hard. Oh, jeez. Um, so I um, should try I, to I have do a... that at some point.
0: I have both a game that is in my backlog, and I'm also excited to get again. What's that? <laughs> Fucking Dragon Quest XI, man. How, how oh, dare same. they I, play me dirty like that?
1: I've played all of, like, a couple hours of Dragon Quest XI so far and loved every bit of it, but I just haven't, like, sat down and devoted and been like, okay, this is going to be my gaming project. But I really so, want to, because so it's really here, good.
0: Here's my thing. I, I played, like... So much of Dragon Quest XI on the PS4. It, like, it got me through some dark months. I adore that game. I adore its cast. I, you know, the music's alright. <laughs> um, like, the the songs that are returning from old Dragon Quest games are killer. Um, I love the aesthetic. There, There's so much good about that game. But, like... You know, there was a part of me that wanted to get the 3DS version that stayed exclusive to Japan. Why Why did you want the 3DS version, Dylan? Well, the 3DS version had this sick-ass mode where you could either play it in 3D, like the PS4 game, or you could play it in the style of an old Super Famicom Dragon Yo, Quest game. Yo, what? Oh, yeah, you did. I, That's I rad as hell. forgot to tell you about that. Yeah, and so, like, it has, like, these beautiful 16-bit graphics, and, like, I was really bummed when uh, only the PS4 version was released in America, and so, like, you know, I was, like, when they announced the Switch port, like, I'm, like, oh, it'd be really cool if they had, you know, the uh, the Super Famicom mode as well as the Unreal Engine 4 version. And because, like, people people were, like, no, you're stupid, Dylan. They're not going <laughs> to do that because re-rent, they're using Unreal Engine 4. It's not going to be the 3DS version. And then, like, it ends up being, like, the best of both worlds. So, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. So, like... I'm a little mad because, like, oh, cool, they're not going to update the PS4 version for this thing I really wanted since before the PS version came out. But I'll buy it again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Man, looking at my Steam library, there's a lot of games that, most of them are games that uh, I've played but haven't beaten yet. So, like, Hyper Light Drifter, which is uh, the best Zelda-like to come out in a very long time. uh,
0: There's a game called CrossCode that's, like, it's this weird combination of, like, you know, dot hack in terms of story and then like Zelda. It's like a Zelda Link to the Past like. Rad. And I really want to play that, but I don't have the money. <laughs> That's fair.
1: Oh, also, uh, I mm-hmm. recently started Minute, which is a game from oh, yeah, Digital yeah. that is a adventure game that you have you die every minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have sixty seconds to accomplish a permanent in the world goal. And mm-hmm. then you'll die and have to start again and try again. So it's all about like finding patterns and finding the quickest ways to do things. And it's very fun, but it's also like, you know, I just picked it up and just started playing it. So that's definitely needs to get done. I also really want to actually sit down and play all the way through Pyre. Mm. Pyre is a game from the same development team that created Bastion uh, yeah. and Transistor and now are, have a demo out for a new sort of like roguelike Diablo s game. Oh that yeah,
0: yeah. Is like has called Hades. Hades right? That's what it's called. Yeah.
1: But they they have been making some of the like most interesting indie games of the last decade. Really, holy crap! Bastion oh, wow. came Bastion's out like a decade that ago.
0: That's messed up.
1: I need to go lie down and put some. No, ice you do We have to back. finish this podcast. Um, but Pyre is like a fantasy basketball game. Yeah. In which it's and also Oregon Trail. It's Oregon Trail basketball with, like, character choices involved. And it's rad, but I've never actually sat down to play more than a couple levels, typically because I'll play it and be like, this is super cool, and then I'll, like, get busy. And right. the next time I have time to play a game, I don't remember how cool Pyre was.
0: I guess uh, I'll, I'll say a couple more, and then we'll move on to the next yeah. question. Um, I have the entire SNES library of Fire Emblem games in my backlog. <laughs> Um, oh, I'm same. almost I'm almost through half of the third game with Marth um, and then like I'm playing through the fourth one with uh Jordan, my brother Jordan. We're playing through that one together because the chapters are long and then I want to really get to Fe5 because that game is challenging but in like the at least for me like the most satisfying possible way. Um, Gotta I'm super love some excited fire for- emblem. Yeah, Resident Evil 2 Remake, it's still really good. I uh I started playing the uh the second story. That it got a lot scarier, so I'm too much of a chicken <laughs> shit to actually play through it.
1: <laughs> love it. Oh, one more for me and then I I agree I think we should move on. Uh though this is a fun just like thing to talk about. I still have not beaten Pillars of Eternity, mm. which is a shame because I love old school RPGs and like I love the Baldur's Gate games which Pillars of Eternity is very much based on. Uh, it's a you know, it's a fantasy RPG. It's about party management and exploring the world and it's really good and it's also just so dense that I never like as much as I like it, I have a hard time sticking with it because like with you know being an adult and having a lot of responsibilities, I want my games to be a little bit less dense now right. than I did when I was younger. Uh, right. But at some point I'll sit down and just like plow through it because it's really good and I want to play the sequel as well. Yeah, that's kind of what my backlog looks like right now.
0: Okay, Uh, what should we address next? Our next
1: question comes to us from our friend Dalton D-Train, for short, uh, or Control-Dalt-Delete on Twitter. He said, Nowadays in plays and movies, it's tough to find a good villain. Are there any villains in video games that really grew on you or that you were really disappointed by? I have a really easy first one that I think you will agree with me on. Agent Agent Black? Yep, Agent Black (laughs) in Iconoclast, which we've talked about many times on this show. Uh, So good. Agent Black is phenomenal. I think that Agent Black actually serves as a really good... To talk about this question, I think that it would be helpful for us to just lay out like, what makes a good villain? Okay, And yeah. we can kind of do that with Agent Black. I think that the biggest two things for me, for a good villain, is they need to be understandable. Like, you yeah. need to be able to see why they're doing what they're doing, because, like, I guess the exception is, like, villains like the Joker, where, like, the chaos in and of itself is the goal. Yeah. But, but he's
0: just so interesting, Chris.
1: <laughs> uh, but for, like, good villains, and particularly good, like, human villains, uh, yeah. you need to be able to understand why they're doing what they're doing, so you need to see the motive behind them, what their objectives are. Uh, and you also need to maybe see why. Like, get those moments of humanization. We touched a little bit on this on our in our big breakdown of Iconoclast, but Agent Black is really well handled you get a lot of moments of seeing her origin and how she came to be and how she came to think the way she thinks and like why it is that she's st- opposed to you yeah. in a way that isn't just like i'm the bad guy Meh.
0: yeah um oh god I have she also has of one of the oh, best
1: monologues in like all of gaming
0: <laughs> oh yeah this is my rocket Ah, oh, it's so good <laughs> she... and, like like, she goes another, out in a
1: big way.
0: This is another plug for Iconoclasts. For Go all play Iconoclasts. Also,
1: Joaquin Sandberg will be expecting our check in the mail.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, already we reblocked us.
1: I know, which I'm, like, still kind of geeked out about months later. Um,
0: <laughs> okay. Um,. I, I guess I'll start with this one. This is simultaneously one of my favorite villains and now one of my least favorite villains in video games. Ganondorf peaked in Wind Waker.
1: True, <laughs> fucking true.
0: <laughs> okay, so, um, I won't I won't go in too into depth with uh the entirety of the Zelda franchise, but like, Ganondorf, as he is portrayed in the Legend of Zelda: The Wind Waker, is he is kind of a repentant villain, like he took over the world, he's killed by the hero, and then he comes back, but he wants to do right this time, and no one will let him. (laughs) Like, so it's it's to the point where, like, the gods are like, no, we're ending the world, it is now a flooded apocalypse world, just because, like, you don't get your second chance. (laughs) And so, like, his entire motive for that game is... Literally trying to, you know, he he is kidnapping people, but he is kidnapping people for the express purpose of wishing back the world to to the state that it used to be, so that he can become a benevolent king and rule justly. And,
1: like, you know, he's still a good villain because, you know, you don't want him to be kidnapping people. You're trying to prevent
0: that. His actions are still abhorrent, and, like, there's no guarantee that, like, the world even wants to go back to what it used to be. A huge theme of that game is like, let's move on from Ocarina of Time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, please, please, God, <laughs> let us move on from Ocarina of Time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, uh, Ganondorf was really good. And then, you know, I, I, I bag on Skyward Sword. Honestly, I was thinking about it like a couple days ago, and like Skyward Sword's actually a pretty good game. But the biggest problem I have with it is how it kind of changes. Like, it was the game that got me to stop caring about the mythos of or mythos of uh Zelda games for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, because like Ganondorf at that point is like he is the result of a curse a even bigger, even badder villain places <laughs> on Link in Zelda. And so like it just it kind of removes the character of all of his agency. And so like every appearance he's had after Wind Waker has been like, ah, I'm the evil king of evil Ganondorf, and I'm here to twirl my mustache and make your life a living hell. Yep, um,
1: yep, yep, yep.
0: Breath of the Wild, which is a game I love, unfortunately suffers from Ganondorf just being, he's hes less a character in that game and more a force of nature. Yeah. In Japan, his name is actually Hurricane Ganon. I love that. Or like that. Typhoon Ganon. Amazing.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, God, Wind Waker's... Wind Waker is, like, one of the strongest character Zeldas.
0: Yeah. Like, again, to stand up for Skyward Sword, that has one of the best Zeldas. I actually really like the supporting cast in that game. Um, it's not like every Zelda game after that's had a bad story. You know, it's just, like, Ganondorf, be done dirty. Yep. And, man, Ganondorf goes out so hard in Wind Waker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get stabbed in the fucking head by a 12 year old
1: and then you get to see a 12 year old deal with the fact that he just stabbed someone in the head
0: <laughs> like wind waker Shit's hunter dark. hunter <laughs> not many differences
1: <laughs> wind waker is the most shown in zelda game yeah, yeah. i want to say i want to i want to give a shout out to uh balder from the recent uh from god uh, of war god 2018
0: of war. yeah yeah he's pretty good uh,
1: he's terrifying because, like, like power set-wise, he cannot be killed. Mm-hmm. Like, he is impervious. And so, like, the that is a very compelling thing that makes him a very, like, fearable villain. But mm-hmm. then when you learn about him as a character, and, like, if you're like me and a big dork who already knew more than a man needs to know about Norse mythology, he, the way that they interpret his story, because Baldur in Norse Myth... Uh, He was the most beloved of all the gods, and they were like, okay, we love you, and we have heard a prophecy that when you die, that's gonna herald Ragnarok, so let's just make sure that you can't die. So his mother goes out and, like, gets everything in creation to, like, swear an oath to never hurt Balder. So, like, the concept of a rock is like, yeah, cool, Balder's good by me, I like that dude, and now, like rocks can't hurt like rocks will just bounce off of him without hurting him but the one thing that she chooses not to or that she forgets to uh, ask is mistletoe because like who would think that mistletoe could be harmful right Uh, in the myth that comes back to bite him but I just love that they took this idea of like this character has been rendered incapable of being harmed and then they like run that to the logical conclusion of like no this character is incapable of feeling yeah and like what would that do to a person over the span of like millennia of living as a god yeah and like his whole quest is one of self-destruction and that's like you learn that bit by bit over the course of the game but it's such a cool way of treating that character that i just absolutely love it
0: mm-hmm. okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna go on a little bit of a jrpg binge all right uh for my next Mess stretch up. <laughs> um all right <laughs> xehanort so I, I, i want it <laughs> oh boy, just not the um, boy i i'm not going to talk about xehanort because i feel like you know if i talk about that kingdom hearts fans will get mad at me because <laughs> <laughs> like i like xehanort in the first game and i like xemnas in the second game like in old man xehanort i was pretty indifferent to because i never actually played birth by sleep i just know what happens in it i just want to know but...
1: why they couldn't get billy
0: zane back
1: ah <sighs> Billy Zane's you know what? performance I, in Kingdom I, 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 is so I dread good. looking
0: up Billy Zane and then learning that he was, like, involved in some massive controversy. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that's why he doesn't have a career anymore. <laughs> well, I don't know if he doesn't have a career. I just haven't seen or heard of him since, like, Titanic. Yeah. Um
1: <laughs> It is a shame, because he's so good.
0: <laughs> like, he, honestly, like, whoever they got to replace him for Zaynord, I, I actually... You know i think they do a great job but like man billy zane's voice in the first kingdom hearts game is like actually
1: really good it's like one of the most iconic parts of that game
0: you see darkness is the heart's true essence like oh my god
1: he leaned in so hard he didn't need (laughs) to go that hard on that role but he did that but he did it for us
0: Uh, anyway, you said you I,
1: weren't going to talk about Kingdom Hearts. What what, what did like, you want to talk just, about? I,
0: I'm I'm just going to say like Kingdom Hearts three because I don't want to talk about spoilers. Like, but like every time I see one of the Zehanorts, a that is a thing I should never have to say, <laughs> and b <laughs> <laughs> and b. Whenever I see any of them, I like I just go, oh god, because like here's the thing, literally. Every villain in, uh, Kingdom Hearts, like, every good villain, decent villain that I liked in that series loses all of their agency, uh, by the time of Kingdom Hearts 3. <laughs> because they're all like, yeah, we work for Zehanort now. Why? I don't know. I'm
1: already half zehanort
0: <laughs> Yeah, like, I, people who have never played a Kingdom Hearts game are gonna be like, what the fuck are these two talking about? But, to like... be
1: honest, I can't tell you. <laughs>
0: But like Zehanort is just he's 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 big evil,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and then like he's even nope, more like,
1: abstract I, than Typhoon Ganon.
0: I can't even talk about like what his motives or plans are because like that's spoilers for Kingdom Hearts three, which I refuse to spoil. So even if like all five of our listeners who are interested in Kingdom Hearts have probably already beaten it by this point, <laughs> but yeah, no, like uh, moving on from Zehanort, let's go to the other disappointing Square villains. <laughs> um so like final fantasy has like this weird thing where like a lot of people a lot of the villains are like some of the villains are beloved and like you know are super memorable and like everyone knows who sephiroth is everyone who has heard final fantasy probably knows who sephiroth is i should say that being said i actually really don't like most of them i think like the ones that are like lame cardboard cutouts are interesting because they are at least given a decent motive but like the more they try to write a villain the less their motives make sense. Yeah. um, Like, there's this character in Final Fantasy VI, his name is Kefka, and he's pretty cool because, like, he doesn't really have a personality, but, like, you know, because of that, it's easy for me to believe any of his goals or motives. <laughs> um, when I look at Sephiroth, Sephiroth's whole shtick is, like, he was a good guy, and then he learned that, like, he was the subject of an experiment when he was still um, in the womb, and then he goes crazy, and then he's like, "I want to become a god because that is my right." And <laughs> that is literally Sephiroth's character, and he's one of the most beloved villains ever. Um, yep. In his defense, the way he psychologically torments the main character is interesting, and like, it really builds up a sense of, "Oh man, I really want to beat this guy." So he's like a good villain in execution, but like as a character in his own right, Sephiroth is like one of the blandest, like most dry toast villains out there. That being said, let me spread the gospel of Vayne Solidor from Final Fantasy XII. <laughs> so, like, there there are good villains in Final Fantasy, I want to throw out. Um, it's just, like, the ones I would point to as good villains are, like, the ones that no one would ever think to point out. Like, Final Fantasy III has a villain where, you know, their shtick is, like, he was like... He's, like, a disciple of this wizard, and, like, they each get, like, these awesome gifts. Like, they're they're, like, deities... Um, and so, like, one deity gets the gift of, like, predicting the future. Another deity gets the a gift of, like, blank. And he gets the gift of mortality. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, his whole motive and drive in that game Thanks. is avoiding his death. Uh, which, like, you know, this is a game for the NES. So it's not like he's a super complex character or the story built around him is really good. But, like... In its own right, that's like a pretty cool backstory and motive for a villain. But anyway, let's talk about Vayne Solidor because oh man, I love this guy. But like everyone else, either thinks he's forgettable or doesn't even know who he is uh, because no one played Final Fantasy Twelve. So Vayne Solidor is he is the son of the M M. Okay, so Final Fantasy Twelve. This is going to be a super reduction that will make me die inside. But <laughs> for sake Do of it. for sake Do of clarity. It. It's Star Wars. Um, you got rebels; they're fighting an empire.
1: <sighs> yeah, I, uh, I can hear. I can hear the noise your heart made when the six-fingered man slaughtered your father. There's you, a lot as you more to this, it. The story crime against your beloved game.
0: There's a lot more to it, but like whenever people like to make fun of this game for whatever reason uh, and trash on it, they they basically say it's like Star Wars. That being said, Vain Salador is the son of the Emperor and he has had to it's kind of confusing because it is an empire but like the emperor the emperor is like kind of a figurehead and there is a senate around him and Vane is an elected official there's there's a lot of details i'll I'll simplify it real quick basically for the political pursuits Vane has had to kill some of his older brothers who are plotting to take over the throne and stuff like that so his personality is that he is a very direct like I have to do things out of necessity to make sure that the empire is going smoothly. And so he knows that his father is aging and he's thinking I have to speed I have to speed up his death so I can take the vacuum so the Senate doesn't try to appoint someone in his place. So he assassinates his father, pins it on the Senate and basically takes over the empire because he doesn't want his younger brother to be nominated by the senate so they can use him as a a figurehead well no uh they they want to use his younger brother as a figurehead and if all of this sounds complex it's because it is because (laughs) this is a character with like a very complex detailed backstory and like events that like kind of shape him into the person he is um, and there's a lot more going on in Final Fantasy XII's plot, but, like, that could be its own episode, honestly, so I won't I won't take too much of my time there. I just wanted to give him a plug. This is fair.
1: Yeah, I can't think of anyone else off the top of my head where I'm like, oh, yo, this guy. Oh, um, this is
0: actually a segue into Christine's, uh, question, if we want to go that route. Yeah,
1: let's do that. Uh, uh s-
0: all of the Tails villains have great, or, uh... I don't know if all of them do, but at least from the tales games I have played, all of the villains are great. The very first uh tales game, Tales of Fantasia for the super Famicom slash Super Nintendo, basically he's not a good guy because <laughs> he uh he is a villain to like the party and he's seen as a threat to the world because he's like declared war on humanity. but the reason why he's doing it, the plot twist is is because mankind is using technology that is draining. The life force of the planet and he is from another planet and he knows that like what is going to happen because it's already happened to his planet and so he is trying to prevent it and he's also trying to restore his own planet which is like an uber simplification but I think what I'm trying to get at is that the best tales villains are all really cool because they have these complex motives where you kill them and you're like damn we could have solved this a different way. <laughs> Like, this didn't have to end in his death. The main villain of Tales of Symphonia for the GameCube, when you kill him, one of the most memorable lines in the game is that the main character, Lloyd Irving, says, you could have lived with us in our world because a huge theme of that game is, or the main villain is kind of pushing back against, the main character is a half-elf, and everything he's doing in this game is to push back against the racism that half-elves get being caught in the middle between elves, and humans. Mm-hmm. And so just things like that. In Tales of the Abyss, the main villain of that game, his homeland was destroyed and no one thought to do anything about it because in the world of Tales of the Abyss, the entire the entire events of human history have been preordained by a prophecy known as the score. And people follow it religiously to the point where, like, they will eat breakfast based on what the score dictates. <laughs> um, exactly. So... So it's just you know, a
1: self-fulfilling prophecy because people do what they say it did. Yeah, Do what exactly. it says to.
0: So the main villain of Tales of the Abyss, everything he is doing is out of anger and resentment that, you know, people just let his homeland get destroyed. Um, there are many other Tales games, but uh, I haven't played them all, to be honest. Um, this is my, a segue. Brother would, my brother would be a good authority on that. But anyway, <laughs> let's talk about the Tales games because yeah, our friend Christine asked.
1: Yeah. Christine... Our good friend, we've talked about them before. They are the game master behind the Unexplored Places podcast on Twitter at cprevis. That's at c p r e v a s. Uh, and they asked us if Dylan could compare the Tales games to the
0: oeuvre of any playwright. Who would it be, and why? And yeah, this is going to be really tough, namely because it being such a long-running series, Tales games have had a numerous variety of writers, of directors of, you know, executive producers for yeah. what that might be worth. I think the first game, Tales of Fantasia, the person who wrote that wasn't even, like, a formal member of the team for, like, the, every game after that. They basically lifted the story from a novel he was writing in his spare time. <laughs> um, so that's a that's a very complicated question uh, and one that I would have to do more research for. But uh, we we already contacted Christine about this i would love to do this for a future episode um we could pinpoint like specific creators stuff like that yeah Um, i think
1: that this has just gotten me thinking i haven't played as many of the tales games i played a fair amount of tales of vesperia which is mm -hmm. really 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 good but it got me thinking about like other like long-running series and like playwrights that i would compare them to and a lot of the things that i could come up with were just comparisons to bertolt brecht
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh boy here we go
1: like <laughs> Bertolt Brecht uh, was a playwright in the early part of the 20th century who was very much a part of what came to be known as the alienation effects. To understand this, you need to know that, like, the century or so leading into the 20th century was all focused on very realistic theater.
0: So, yeah. playwrights Wanting like. Wanting to recreate reality.
1: Yeah. Play- playwrights like Ibsen, uh, who were all about, like, having plays that mirrored real life as much as possible so that you sitting in the audience would suspend your disbelief and be able to think that, like, oh, I'm just watching a piece of life happening in front of me. Brecht said, nah, fuck that. And so the alienation effect is all about making the audience aware of the artifice of theater. So constructing your theater in such a way that, like, the theatricality is a part of the production and is actively reminding the audience that they are watching theater if that makes any kind of sense um to put it into something that most modern audiences would be aware of the idea of breaking the fourth wall is a brechtian
0: invention um but like breaking the fourth wall beyond you know as a wink at the audience as a joke um it is used more to get the audience to think critically about real life yeah. Um, and about the, you know, once you step out of the theater and you are driving home, like, thinking critically about, like, how the events of the play apply to real life and events happening in the real world.
1: Yeah. um, It's it's come to be kind of everywhere, especially in theater. Uh, you see it a lot of the times, like, plays will be staged in a Brechtian manner. So, like, a play that is, you know, not necessarily about... Breaking the fourth wall or about achieving the alienation effect can be staged and produced in such a way that, like, taps into that kind of mindset. And you see it in you see this kind of thing in games where, like, the fact of it being a game is an important part of your engagement with it.
0: Yeah, so, like, Um, I've been meaning to do a series on this for the longest time, uh, but I think you know, you can look at Metal Gear Solid. Not just the second one for people who have played that one, but especially like definitively the uh the the ps2 ps1 ps2 games do a lot in you know causing the alienation effect a good example is uh the first two games particularly uh, they will have characters talking with like you know with their in-game graphics and then they will cut to a full motion video of like real live footage of like maybe it'll be a missile being launched because they're talking about like, nuclear weapons development yep and it's just to kind of it is done for the purpose of the player thinking about these concepts and how they might be going on in the real world you know i don't i think a lot of people who play the metal gear games focus more on the lore and uh the characters and that kind of gets lost that like you know we're also talking about the super baby method which is don't don't worry about it (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) The, the Paper Mario series is also very
1: Brechtian, and it's just, like, presentation of itself. Yeah. And it, like, to the point that in Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door, when a fight starts, Mario and his opponents are literally on a stage in front of an audience of NPCs as the fight takes place. And a big emphasis is, because all of the combat is timing-based, you get, like, stylish bonuses for doing the timing right. The one other thing that came to mind, and I'm, you know, this is the second time I'm bringing up God of War in one episode, so I might have (laughs) to start paying royalties. But God of War is just fun on this because God of War 1 for the PlayStation 2 is just like a Euripides play. Mm -hmm. Like, God of War 1, even to the point that, like, the Greek tragedies had special effects and gore, like, God of War 1 is very much a piece of classic Greek theater and then God of War 2018 is a Chekhov play. Anton Chekhov is a another playwright from like the late 19th early 20th century uh, Russian playwright famous for his realist stories. He gets a bad rap let me kind put it of like way. God of War. <laughs> yeah, let me put it this way. People who don't know how to read a Chekhov play, the complaint is always like, "Oh, all the interesting stuff happens off stage." Like there's a play called The Cherry Orchard, in mm-hmm. which one of the major like things that happens chronologically in the story is that the orchard burns down, but the orchard burns down during an act break. But that's not like it's not that that's an important thing happening off stage. It's that the important thing about that isn't the orchard burning down. It's the characters that have to deal with the fact that the orchard burned down.
0: Like, Actually, now that you mention it, uh, sorry. Uh, now that you mention no, it, it. it, like when I when I think of Final Fantasy twelve, I feel like it has a similar. Uh, a a huge complaint about final fantasy 12 is that like with the story it feels like a lot of what the characters are doing doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things like they are not characters that like they're on they're on a quest to reclaim a kingdom but like a lot of it is just kind of like wallowing because they can't do anything about it
1: but that's a very human story
0: yeah exactly and like
1: The other famous example for Chekhov is uh, at the end of his play, The Seagull, one of the characters commits suicide, but he commits suicide offstage. And then the play ends with another character returning, having discovered that he committed suicide. And that's like one of the like, yes, this big thing happened like offstage where you couldn't see it, but then you get to watch this person come back out and bring that knowledge with them. Like, that's the important... And that's such an impactful moment. And, like, God of War 2018 feels like that in a lot of ways because there's all of these implications of, like, these big conflicts between all of the gods in the Norse Pantheon. But, like, the game, rather than having Kratos go off and fight all these gods, is like, no kratos is just trying to carry his wife's ashes to the place she wanted to be and this shit's getting in his way it's looking at the impact that these big things that are happening off stage are having on this man and his son there's a whole episode of the show i want to do on this <laughs> when i have like the time to do the breakdown
0: and like reread
1: my whole Chekhov collection that i have but right right
0: um, um that's one of the things that
1: came to my mind
0: it is a huge regret of mine that some of the listeners might not know this, but I actually I became a drama major super late into college, so I didn't have as much time to study all of the uh, different play le- play, playwrights uh, as I would have liked. So I wish I could talk more about this subject, but like my knowledge is actually really lacking. <laughs> yeah, I know and more it's... about like concepts and practice and theory more than I do. Like I can tell you all about Eugene oh, O'Neill. Just... I was gonna say like I can tell I can talk about like restoration theater, for example, but like I had I just drew a blank when I was trying to like name a specific restoration. Right, right. Um, yeah.
1: So yeah, that that question got us both very excited and then we were both like, that's probably more of like a full episode type thing, but we still yeah, wanted exactly. to kind of touch on it. With that, I think that that is as good a place as any to wrap up. Thank you, beautiful, lovely audience ears for transmitting the vibrations that we are making into meaning in your owner's heads and thank you owners for listening to our stupid stupid show listen to Um, chris tripping all over himself i'm really good at this i promise uh it means a lot that you're listening and it was a lot of fun to talk to you about this and to engage with some uh some audience questions so thank you audience members who sent in your things to hear our thoughts we're backstage gaming you can find us at bsgpod.com that's bsgpod.com that's our website we've got bios we've got links to all of our uh, various social media things we've got the episodes we've got a contact list and you can always find our podcast there or on spotify stitcher itunes or google play so please you know subscribe on your podcasting listening device of choice Dylan, what's that social Uh, media?
0: I've interrupted you. I'm sorry. It's okay. I forgive you. Um, If you want to check us out on social media, you can hit us up on Facebook. If you want to find us on Twitter, our handle is at BSG underscore cast. Uh, You can find us on YouTube. And, you know, if you like what we're doing, uh, talk about us with the hashtag BSG pod. Also, huge, huge thanks to our friend, Brendan French who also sent in questions uh huge thanks to him for our logo our, our art thumbnail whatever you have it uh the the charming little picture of chris and i with our mushroom and sonic ring um if you like his artwork i don't know why i'm tripping over myself uh if you it's like you mocked me his, it's it is this is hubris um <laughs> Uh, If you like his stuff, you can check him out at BrennanFrench.Squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N-French.Squarespace.com. We really should add his Instagram link because he has one now. Which is
1: BrennanFrenchArts on Instagram.
0: All right, you better put that in the doc, buddy. You know what? Um, (laughs) You should
1: also go and give some love to our friend BioQuery. He did our, our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1, Instrumentality. He just like, two days ago, or I guess, like, five days ago when you hear this, because time exists, uh, released a new EP titled Post-Human Angst. Uh, it's on Spotify. I think it's also on Apple Music. It's really fucking cool. Like, it's weird and strange, but it's also, like, one of the coolest EPs I've heard in a while. And Kind I've of like had it...
0: the music he put in our podcast. Yeah,
1: I've had it on repeat for a while, so you should go check that out. It's on most music streaming services and you should check out his soundcloud that's at soundcloud.com slash bioquery soundcloud.com slash b-i-o-q-u-e-r-y be on the lookout for dylan in an upcoming arc of the unexplored places podcast be on the lookout for me in the final episode of the upcoming unwell a midwestern gothic mystery podcast which if my knowledge is correct the first full episode of that will be up the day after this podcast episode goes up, okay, cool. If my math is right, uh, sometime right around there, anyway. Quick so be mass. on the lookout for that. And thank you once again for tuning into Backstage Gaming. We hope you enjoy your time here with us, and we'll talk to you again next week.
0: I I actually don't think I have a closer. Just just end it. <laughs> I mean, we <laughs> all right. <laughs> thanks for thanks for
1: bailing out at the last minute.
0: Ah, uh, dude, you know it?